Nanu, nanu. I never liked that. No, you see, half of it is because Pam Dorber, back when she was doing Walk and Mindy, she was she was quite foxy. Um, yeah, she was one of my first crushes. Because <laughs> she was quite clean and wholesome. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really liked Pam, Pam Dorber. Wasn't there something with an egg in Walk and Mindy, or if yes, I dreamed yes. that? Yes, yeah, 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 no, yeah, I didn't like that. <laughs> I don't like her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 20th of August. I'm Phil Hinton and joining me on this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Withers, Andy Williams, Perry Como and Certain Ballads by Mr Frank Sinatra. News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. Even encapsulated in two seconds, my life is dull. I find that very alarming. Games Editor Mark Botwright. Let's boogaloo till we puke. And Audio Reviewer Ed Selly. Well, we walk up to someone and say, are you the enemy? And if they say yes, we shoot them. If you haven't caught on to what the quotes are from, it's Good Morning Vietnam. And sadly, um, as we recorded the podcast last Monday, uh, Robin Williams uh, sadly died. Um, And the news was broken about an hour after we finished recording, so we weren't able to get in last week's podcast. But it it seems like a long time ago now, Um, even though it was only last Monday, guys. um, Bit of a shocker, this one, really. Yeah, although I'm starting to get used to it now. I think Mr. Botwright pointed out that every week we seem to have somebody who's either died of some disease or a car crash or topped themselves. And uh, yeah, another one. I've got to say, massive surprise for me. Uh, you know, I guess d- depression is a difficult thing. I mean, t- with Tony Scott, is another good example where you, you think someone's career is doing well and everything's great, and then suddenly they go and kill themselves and you realise maybe things weren't as they appeared to the outside world. But even so, and I know comedians generally are not the most happiest of bunches when they're not in st- on stage or in front of a camera, but but that was a, a real shock that Ron Williams killed himself. Very sad. You know, I wasn't that I wasn't that shocked by by this one. I, mean, I was shocked that it happened, but I, I wasn't shocked he was a, a he was a sufferer of depression. He always seemed he was one of those guys that was kind of really on the edge and so, so into what he does, so into the comedy that when he wasn't doing it, I can imagine he did have some dark moments. He was yeah, it well, was he, a very special talent. I think I there's think, I think there's a lot to be said about um, genius and uh, and the flaws that come along with genius. Yeah. Um, you know, just thinking about people who like him have have had uh, massive careers have changed people's perceptions have made people laugh made people cry at the same time um they always seem to have the flip of the coin personality ed yes um i mean it's interesting robin williams's issues with depression were he never actually made too much of a secret about it and um the uh inspirational quote machine that is the internet has been busy sticking these quotes onto photos of him looking wistful for the last week and you realise that there was actually a a, a genuinely he'd been quite outspoken about it Um, with that being said I'm not quite in the in the Hodgkinson oh (laughs) school of school of (laughs) inevitability there I was I was take I was taken aback because I felt that in, you know, obviously uh, talking about this from a perspective of not not fully understanding it, for which I'm not entirely upset about, it always seemed like he had more of a handle on it due to a degree of openness. But it, nonetheless, if then the ensuing rumours of him being somewhat in the hole financially and very possibly potentially being in the early stages of Parkinson's, it's, it's I guess it's a cumulative exercise and... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I have to admit to being to being taken aback uh, when I uh, fired up the various various bits and bobs on, on the Tuesday morning. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose if when you actually start reading about some of the interviews he gave in the last two years or so, you know, it, it, it's obviously everything's easier with hindsight. But there is there's more. You can so, you can see more of the 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 potent, you know the 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 underlying you know, sort of sadness and, 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 and inner turmoil, for want of a better phrase, that, that, that there seemed to be to be with it. Um, and I guess, you know, if we would look at this in the in the you know film punditry sense, it, in terms of knockout roles over the last couple of years, I don't recall anything that Mr. Williams has been in in the last what, three or four years where he was either I, I can't m- remember the last 
10 or 15 that he's been in anything no i'd been... say he was absolutely superb in insomnia with al pacino which i think is about 10 years ago yeah i think that was, was, it was a very 24 good hour one. photo yeah, no, it's one, one hour, hour photo, photo one which hour is a photo. superb. It's film. interesting that he was, uh, yeah, he was very, uh, for, you know, for a sort of a zany comedian that we best know him as in his early career, his sort of latter part of his career, when he did things like one hour photo and um, insomnia, he played dark, disturbing characters extremely well. Um, I think it was anything perhaps- where he kind of dialed back that personality, seemed to kind of strike a chord with people because he kind of played the, the zany character so much with his comedy. That as soon as, you know, like Goodwill Hunting or something, as soon as he, he appeared as a more calm figure, it was either very much the kind of kind benevolence or when he played things very, very much slower, it was, you know, he played evil very insidiously. Yeah, yeah, true. I love One Hour Photo. I think it's, uh, it, don't get me wrong, I believe the role that Williams plays is beautifully, beautifully written and there are a number of people that could have done it extremely well, but he nonetheless, he made that his own. It, it was it was the Robin Williams film I felt the greatest urge to watch in a sense of nostalgia. After, you know, after thinking, oh, what Robin Williams... And that's mainly because I don't have the uh, Mork and Mindy box set, and I bloody love Mork and Mindy. I don't have a problem admitting that. I, I, I used to watch that during school holidays on reruns, and I thought it was marvellous. Okay, well, uh, that's the obviously the sad passing of Robin Williams last Monday. Um, after we recorded, otherwise we would have mentioned it. So, let's move things on to hardware news. And we had our first. Well, I'm saying we. It was Steve uh, had the first experience of Dolby Atmos in the home. Uh, that was last week. Um, Steve's article is up on the front page. If you want to go and uh, find out his views in written form, or you can hang about here, and Steve's going to tell us now. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all. Certainly I have, and I'm sure a few other people have got quite excited at the, the concept of Dolby Atmos. You know, it's nice to have a new sound format. The idea of overhead speakers is interesting, you know, a more immersive sound experience. Uh, and this was the first chance I'd had to, I mean, I've experienced it in the cinema, but the first chance to experience the kind of things we're going to be able to buy ourselves in, in the very near future, within the next few weeks, in fact. So what they did was they had uh, a series of, of um, trailers and clips um, and one long clip from Stodgic Into Darkness, which they initially showed us in their 35-seat 30, Dolby Atmos-equipped cinema, which they have in their offices in Soho. So they showed us all that stuff first. And, of course, it sounded amazing. Uh, and the idea was then they, we then went to the demo room where they had a, a more traditional um, home cinema setup. So they had actually had a 7.1 setup, so, you know, front, left and right, and centre, side and rears, and a subwoofer. Plus, they also had four overhead speakers, so technically 7.1.4. And they also had four upward firing speakers, so they could then toggle between the overhead speakers or the upward firing speakers. And um, the idea was they then showed us exactly the same clips again as we'd seen in the cinema, but this time in the, in the in the home environment. And they also toggled around between using the overhead speakers and the upward firing speakers so we could see whether we could tell the difference you know, between the two. And um, obviously, you know, I'm going to say it wasn't as impressive as, the home, as being in an actual cinema, but I don't think you can really expect it to be you know, quite the same. I mean, we're talking about, you know, sort of 16 overhead array of overhead speakers, you know, speakers that run all the way around the room, four subs, you know, a full massive cinema setup. It's never going to, you know, you're never going to re- recreate that with with um, seven speakers in a home cinema and four overheads. But having said that, compared to what I heard in the cinema, it did replicate it extremely well. It was very similar. You had the sense of immersion, you had overhead noise. There was a, a Dolby sort of Dolby produced uh, trailer where there was, a, there was a forest and there was thunder and, and lightning and rain coming down. And that kind of, those kind of very natural effects work really well with Atmos, I think. I mean, presumably that's why it's called Atmos, because it's atmospheric. Um, more so, perhaps, than just explosions and things flying around, although that works well as too. Um, the, uh, I found the um, Star Trek Into Darkness clip, I enjoyed it more, actually, on the uh, home cinema setup, because I found it in the, in the cinema. It was overwhelming in terms of its, you know, the sound design, the amount of action, the, the object flying around the room, the, the amount of bass. It, it was almost... Um, you know, punishing at times to watch that and therefore in a slightly more contained and controlled environment. That sounds awful. Home, well, it was. It was too much. It was like ch- kitchen sink sound design. Yeah. Uh, and it, it really was excessive. And I just felt like, oh, I don't know, this is too much. Um, and, and therefore, watching it in the home cinema, I actually enjoyed it more because it wasn't quite as overbearing as it had been in the cinema. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, anything that takes you out of the experience is a bad thing. So if yeah. you're really noticing that and, and, and it is having that effect on you, then it's yeah. bad sound design. It's not good sound design. 
but what I did notice, I think, was also that uh, I've seen a few uh, Dolby Atmos movies now, or bits of movies, and, and you can clearly see, was perhaps they got a bit carried away and it was a bit too much. Um, they were clearly um, getting better at using the concept of object, object, objects, sound design, um, and using the overhead speakers as well to to make the, the surround more immersive and to move things around in that. But I just felt in the cinema at least it was it was a little bit too much. But great in the in the demo room. Uh, and then they they've toggled between the two between the upward firing speakers and the overhead speakers. And I have to say, much to my surprise, the upward firing speakers worked really well. Um, the first two demos, they, the first two clips they did, they actually were just using the upward firing speaker. They told us they were going to use one and then the other, and which one was which, and which one was no, which. Tells, tell them which one was which. And um, I was thinking, first one, I thought, yeah, they're using the upward firing speakers. The second one, I wasn't convinced. I thought maybe it was coming from above. In fact, they were both using the upward firing speakers. And then they did a, a test where they could toggle between the two. And they also had a, a, a TV screen so you could see a representation of the room, you know, in a sort of grid form. And then it showed you where the um, where the objects were moving around the room. And then it, you could see, obviously, when the upward fire speakers were being engaged and when the overhead ones were being engaged. But um, surprisingly effective at creating a sense of sound coming from above, even though they were firing upwards. Now, these speakers, um, they were actually made by Kef, uh, although there will be plenty of other. I mean, this was a very much an agnostic demonstration by by Dolby. They weren't, you know, there was no particular manufacturer being pushed. It just happened to be they were using Kef speakers this time, but there will be other speakers available. And the idea is that they, Dolby, give the manufacturers the, the basic technology, you know, license it to them, and then they build their own speakers how they want to, but based upon the technology. And the technology they're using is some, a basic psychoacoustic um, technology where uh, if you have someone talking to you in front of you, and obviously the sound hits your ears, both ears at the same time, and you got sound, someone above you, and the sound hits you at the same time. What? How do you? How is it you can tell the difference? And the reason is because of the way the sound re- resonates around your shoulders and around the head, and they kind of tried to recreate that using these these speakers. That's what they claimed. <laughs> uh, but all I can say is, regardless of the technology involved, certainly it did work. And I I, I was struggling at times to tell which one was which. Um, what, um, what kind and that of, surprised me. What kind of ceiling was in the uh, in, in the demo room? Uh, it was actually it was uh, it was a solid ceiling, but with a in the middle section there was a kind of a, a section coming down, which is where they put, built in the overhead speakers. So I mean they they were aiming them um, to bounce off of the, obviously the, the the hard part of the ceiling. Um, but there was a um, there was a sort of central section, a kind of lower down section, which I guess was a wooden box effectively, where the, they built in the overhead speakers. Um, and and they talked, I did ask them about speaker placement, you know, not just upward firing. Maybe basically, the idea with the upward firing speakers, and it's a clever idea, is most people aren't going to let, most partners probably aren't going to let you put speakers on the ceiling. Yeah, which, is, really... which was why I was asking that question, because yeah. you know, the ceiling is the one area where, unless you have a vaulted ceiling or you live in a cathedral, most people have roughly the same type of, of ceiling arrangement. So it makes kind of sense that, if these speakers work in a certain way that, and like I say, unless you've got a vaulted ceiling or something like that, in most cases, it's going to work for you, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this was an office building. I don't know when it was built, but you know, it's a typical stone building, brick building with your standard ceiling, most of it. So, I mean, yeah, I think in most, the average house, this is going to work quite well. It's going to bounce off an average ceiling unless it's incredibly high, um, which I doubt it would be. Um, it should work really well. And obviously, you're putting them on top of the speakers that you've already got there. So you're not taking up any additional space. You're running wires along the same way that you're running the wires that are already going to the existing speakers. So in that sense, it makes good. It makes perfect sense. And from the point of view of Dolby, they understand that. They realise that most people aren't going to be able to put speakers on the ceiling. And therefore, for this system to become popular, or as popular as they hope it will, they realise they need to have an alternative. And so that were, that's why they were very keen to show us the Atmos speakers, because clearly it is an easier solution for people in the average living room. And to my surprise, they actually do work really well. I think uh, anyone who demos them will be surprised at how effective they can be. I guess, Certainly the demonstration I have. I guess the problem is, Steve and Ed and everybody else that's on this podcast, is that um, who is this technology aimed at? Um I noticed that the likes of Onkyo have home theatre in a box systems with Dolby Atmos engaged and all the rest of it. Are we seriously saying or suggesting, Ed, that that the vast majority of the public is going to get involved with this? Because I don't know about you, but certainly um, in my last job, I went into quite a few um, people's houses and people that had home theatres in a box tended to have all five speakers up the front next to the TV. Well, there's an element of that there, isn't there? The upward firing aspect is quite clever, though, because any speaker manufacturer 
feeling bold, um, well, if they're feeling timid, they can at least produce a matching stick-on Atmos upward firing speaker to complement floor standards, stand mounts, etc. If someone really wants to steal a march, they can produce a speaker package where that tweeter array is built in from the outset. Um, and it's just going to, uh, as Steve says, it's going to generate a level of accessibility that insisting that people cut two or four holes into their ceiling just isn't. And yeah, I, from a speaker manufacturer perspective, provided that the licensing isn't grossly prohibitive and we don't know anything about that yet. Um, and also provided that the standards are, I wouldn't say lax, but the standards are, you know, they don't require you to go down a very, very specific path and produce a very, very specific sound because I don't think that that's constructive either. Um, I think this could be, it, it could be the difference between Atmos being a complete non-starter and, 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 and actually having some traction. And I don't think it just needs to be home theatre in a box. And I do agree with you that you go in and you see them, you see speakers arranged in some truly remarkable layouts and often <laughs> <Yep>. often with some <laughs> often with some decidedly interesting level settings as well but again it won't hurt and let's face it if this as a as a function trips off another really aggressive phase of av receiver pricing if you're an av receiver manufacturer if you've got the opportunity to sell speakers which let's face it do make people more money than receivers do even at the best of times it's not going to do you any harm. So I can fully understand why they're doing it. Right, okay. Um, um, Steve, you've now heard both these systems. Um, these amplifiers are coming onto the market. Um, what is the cheapest uh, AVR with Dolby Atmos? Do we know? Uh, it's about, I think they're, they're going to be a sort of five, six hundred quid mark. So kind of right. relatively cheap. Okay, it? and then you've got to add, what, four speakers? So either speakers yeah, on the although, ceiling or uh, upward fires. Yeah, although, aren't they throwing in four speakers? Yeah, but that's, that's, that's just a promotion that runs for a month or two. Uh, yeah, so okay. let's let's take that out of the equation first of all. So we're looking at five or six hundred quid to to upgrade your AVR if you want, but that's just the cheapest one. Yeah. So if you're an AVR enthusiast, there will be. In fairness, there will be some manufacturers, I believe Pioneer, definitely Onkyo, and top possibly some others who are going to do firmware updates for some of the previous uh, receivers to make them Atmos capable. So right. there might okay. be a, even a, possibly a free upgrade there. Right. worth considering yeah. but yeah i see your point you're going to be spending at least a grand on you right so you're spending at least a grand you've had both systems is is it worth spending a grand uh i think the answer to that question is whether it depends entirely upon whether you're going to get uh decent support from the studios because um i definitely enjoyed uh i, th I thought uh, the idea of atmos appeals to me the demo of Star Trek in the Darkness that I heard, in, particularly in the in the home demo, home cinema demo room, I thought was really good. Again, that was a more immersive sense, a more immersive um, sensation to the sound. Uh, I did enjoy it. I, I think um, I, I'd certainly be interested to do. I'm sure a lot of AV enthusiasts would be. The question is going to be, who's going to deliver the content? Because the thing that Dolby obviously didn't mention, but did occur to me at the time is that almost every blu-ray that you buy with the exception DTS of paramount master audio. uses tts hd master audio and it's only i believe and i could be wrong here but certainly for my movie collection i had a quick look um actually earlier flicking through a few apart from paramount who do use true hd as, as their sort of default uh sound format most of the almost all the others use dts so it's going to be a quite obviously paramount are going to support it i mean there was that's to start as a paramount movie they wouldn't actually confirm who would be releasing discs uh, and when but I think it's a safe bet that either Aoife or Cedia, there'll be announcements. And I should imagine that the first ones will be Paramount movies because they've got things like Transformers at, that was done with um, with Atmos. They've got the Star Trek with Atmos. So they, that could be uh, the obvious, obvious discs but, to, to but launch then it with. The, the other thing there as well, though, Steve, is that we could be double dipping again as well. So Oh, absolutely. But having said that, if I could get an Atmos mix, because they were talking about the Atmos mix for Gravity, and it sounded absolutely stunning, because that film has got such directional audio in it all the time. The idea of object-based sound really, really works for that kind of film. So the idea of an Atmos soundtrack on, on, on Gravity is actually quite appealing to me. Uh, and uh, again, that's dependent on Warner Brothers promote, supporting it, but they certainly have been making films in Atmos. Um, they did uh, Gravity, as I said. Also, I think uh, Godzilla, that's a Warner's, Warner's movie. So there's 
There's certainly plenty. There's about 120 movies already made with Atmos soundtrack. So there is plenty of content out there if the studios are prepared to support it. Do we want to double dip? Not ideally, but I think in certain cases I could make an exception. I would definitely double dip on Gravity if it was available with an Atmos soundtrack. Right, okay. And final question for you, Steve, is um, are you going to bolt speakers to your ceiling or are you going to go for the upward firing? Bolt speakers to the ceiling because I can. Okay. I, I still think that's my preference. My, you know, whilst they worked extremely well, given the option, I'll go for the you know the proper approach. <laughs> okay, but is it the proper approach? <laughs> because, this is the thing. Because I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, um, Mr. Portray, what's your thoughts on this? I know we've gone over Atmos quite a few times now, but now that Steve's heard it, he's given his his opinions. What do you think? It sounds interesting. Um, <sighs> I still don't know that many people who've gone to 7.1. Uh, That's very I, true. I, I still know most people stick with 5.1. I've known people who've gone to 7.1, have played with it for a while, have either kind of rearranged a room at, you know, someone else's behest or, or you know, they've just decided that perhaps the, the extra speakers aren't necessary and then they just seem to stick. 5.1 just seems to be that nice round number. You can get away with that amount of speakers in a, a kind of multi-purpose room. Um, you can hide them away. You can be clever with how they're arranged. Um, it's not too intrusive. And yeah, I just think that most people tend to stick around that number for, for a reason. Yeah. Well, in I mean, the same I've... way, that at a given point, we will hit a point where people say, in fact, actually, I don't want a bigger screen. I think we are heading towards that point, even if we do get 4K as prevalent and uh, yeah. with content on tap, uh, there does come a point where families tend to say that's a bit too much. Well, I mean, I've got a dedicated room and it's 5.1 and that's basically because with the layout, I thought it was a waste of time having the speakers behind uh, to make up 7.1. So I've stuck with 5.1 with four subwoofers um that's <laughs> that's that's the system that works best in that room and and it's the one which gives me the level of performance that i'm happy with to watch movies when i get a chance to watch movies um so i get that point i also get the point that it, it certainly ever since i started buying av receivers um 20 odd years ago ed um there is one company who have always had effect speakers this and is true. extra connections for FX speakers. And in that 20 years, I've never used the extra channels. I mean, I've got an Onkyo amp that's four or five-year-old now, which has the ability to do width and height and all the rest of it, and I've never bothered with that. Well, no. Um, I, there does appear to be... I mean, I've, I've bemoaned this before, that confronted by an unwillingness for people to stick more speakers in their rooms the approach by AV receiver manufacturers has just been to offer them different ways of sticking more speakers into the same room. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. It do, it shouldn't stop innovation. And as I say, they have at least, I think they've partially learned a lesson. There is the upward firing solution. Um, I, th I think which, that's, that, that's the genius part. Yeah, that's the important that, that, that's, one. That's the one. That's and there is, and w but without stopping there being a purist solution as well for the withers of this world. <laughs> so, you know, I think that's quite clever. And I don't know. I think with present speakers, half the blame, maybe not half the blame, uh, uh, the, 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 the end of people buying, going into a bricks and mortar store to buy these products and being, and, and therefore having the, the possibility of being demoed height and present speakers basically shot the idea in the foot if you're just buying it on the internet are you going to take a punt you're probably not there are there are solutions out there for people that don't want to get in, involved in, in, indulge in some high level masonry so you know it could be worth a, a, a tricky it, bit actually there was a tricky bit with, with ceiling mounting the speakers there is one issue and that is string you know, what, <laughs> no depending on where you're going to put them because uh, obviously, the ideal thing would be to use one of the joists in the in the ceiling to drill into to put your speaker up there. But clearly, the joist might not be in the correct place. Um, <laughs> I think didn't we talk about using a piece of wooden brackets last week? Yeah, or maybe the week before. And that that's my solution. That's what I'm going to do because talking to the guy, yeah, his name was JJ. Nothing to do with JJ Abrams. In his job description, and it's on his business card, Dolby business card is in, in evangelist. And uh, he was, uh, I said to him, where's the best place to put the speakers in, overhead speakers? And he said, I ideally, depending on where you're seated, and, and I'm about two-thirds of the way across the room from the screen, so 
he said, well, in that case, and you want the rear speakers sort of just behind this sitting position firing straight down. And you want the front speakers about of a quarter of the way into the room um, and angled slightly towards the listener. So that's apparently what he's recommended for the overhead speakers. If you're listening, if you're thinking about doing it yourself, Ed, that's... The only person that hasn't uh, said anything on this subject is Mr. Hodge. And I find that um, interesting because, Hodge, uh, if you don't mind me saying so, I think you actually live in, in probably the type of house which represents the vast majority of uh, the population of this country, and that's a tenement, um, with its challenges with space. So how do you yeah, it's deal big with enough, it? But it's, it's a really awkward shape, my room. 5.1 is, is near impossible apart from one sitting position. So I can get it, I can hook it up so it sounds good where I sit, but it sounds shocking anywhere else in the room. Um, so it's, even with the upfires, it would be, I don't think I could get it in other than, you know, when everyone else is out and I'm sat in the armchair or, in bright bang in front of the telly and I can position the speakers behind me exactly where I want. Or you end up knocking through walls and making... Knocking through walls. Oh, if it doesn't stick up by blue tack, I'm not interested to be quite honest. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the extent of my DIY. Yeah, I must admit, my okay, DIY is blue tack and super glue. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no tools of trade for me. I don't, you see, I can't be bothered with, I can't be bothered with DIY. It ultimately, in, in the same way that all the stuff that's got to be done in the lounge to get all of the equipment in... Am I doing any of it myself? Am I bollocks? I'm going to get someone that has a keen and developed understanding of power tools in and they're going to do a proper job and I shall hand them money and I shall (laughs) momentarily be sad about handing them money but then nothing will fall off nothing will, I won't have drilled through a gas main or any of that stuff and it will just be done That noise in the background was me just ripping up the idea of uh, the DIY home cinema videos I'd, I'd be quite happy to film a professional doing the work <laughs> and then maybe he could come to fix my washing machine and we could generate into something yeah. altogether more horrifying but, but you know but i think mark it, it, i hope you don't mind me making this point but your room or certainly the layout is the traditional layout um of, of your tenement and the vast majority of uk homes are like that so how the hell are you going to fit a system like that in i, I just couldn't it, it, it's just it's unfeasible just totally unfeasible for me other than in one listening position which would be fine but um it would make the room look a complete sight really um it's just not going to happen in the end shay hodgkinson i'm afraid i'm just thinking about the from the perspective of people i know and friends um i, I don't i can't see any of them being interested bar one uh, um who's a good friend of mine but that was only because i would talk him into doing it and he's quite handy with his diy skills so when he he built his own house and, and put speakers in the ceiling and all this kind of stuff so i'm going to try and talk him into it i love the way that you equate those two things he built his own house that's yeah. seriously impressive then put speakers in the ceiling to be well, honest at the that's, same that's time while he was building level, his house yeah. no no that was part of the design so i'm saying he could do it. he <laughs> could and and probably will do it for me if i ask him so he can be my test bed uh, i'll get him to do it and i can go around here with all the stuff <laughs> interesting <laughs> mark mentions that because i guess in ceiling speakers are nothing new they've been around for ages yeah um and my experience of in-ceiling sort of rears or side speakers has, has been that they don't work very well because obviously they're in the wrong place I, I, it diff- really depends. It depends on the person that's put them in and and how the room's been designed. Because I've been in some rooms where, uh, you know, the speakers have been hidden, but it's been designed by somebody that actually knows what they're doing, and it sounded really, really good. Um, so I guess that that comes down to you know who it is that's putting it in and the brands that they're using and so on. I mean, it's no surprise that Kef have just released a line of THX certified in ceiling speakers, at the same time as the announced Atmos. Now you see, it's so, interesting you bring up THX. THX is the gold standard in how Dolby should not go about licensing the Atmos upward firing stuff. Um, and I, I, I say that completely. I'm not being being facetious. It really needs to be a far more open standard than THX. They simply need to describe what the, what they, what the speaker should seek to do and then make no other specifications as to crossover points, any of the rest of it, they should just leave speaker manufacturers to get on with it, because that's going to be that's the way forward. Not THX. Absolutely adamant about that. Uh, we need to move, we need to move things on. We're running out. Of yeah, time. we've been incredibly on topic for an uncomfortably yeah, long yeah, period of time. Let's, let's move things on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, that's 
Dolby Atmos, uh, Steve had his, his opportunity to listen to that. We're expecting the first bits of kit to come through for review soon. Um, and I know that Steve's getting somebody in who uh, knows DIY and is going to put his speakers up in time for that to happen. Is that right, Steve? Yep. Yeah, yep. my dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad doesn't know this yet, by the way, but he's about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, ask the idiots. Uh, we need to be quick because we are running out of time. Uh, we've gone over time talking about the last two subjects. So uh, I'm just looking through these lists and I'm going to pick just one of them this week and we'll carry the, the other one over to next week. So so I'm going to go to David Stevens, DTS man, on, uh, on Twitter. And uh, what piece of kit do you still own? even if you don't use it, because you just couldn't get rid of it. Um, and I'll answer this first by saying that I used to uh, be somebody who would hoard stuff, and then about 10 years ago, I decided to have a big clear-out, and a lot of my old kit went, along with my laser disc player and my laser discs. Um, those were the things that I would probably have kept hold of if I hadn't gotten rid of them, and it's one of the biggest regrets. But I don't have anything so that's me. Uh, let's go to Hodge. Uh, I'm pretty much everything. I can't, I can't. I'm very bad at throwing things away. So um, in the loft, amongst other things, amongst countless boxes and and stuff, I've got um, two 14-inch CRT TVs that will never be used. Well, in fact, one doesn't work. Probably should have <laughs> took that out years ago. I just can't bear to. Bear to one of them I had for around about. Uh, 20 years from from being a teenager, and it still works, still going strong. Um, if you were a teenager, I, it'd be longer than that, would it not? I don't know. Maybe oh, yeah, 25 years. I was, I was a teenager then, wasn't I? 19, has, yeah. Has it got yeah, the wood yeah. finish? Yeah, wood finish. <laughs> Ferguson. Nice. Beautiful. It's, uh, yeah, I, I, just can't bear, I can't bring myself to throw it away. Uh, so uh, that'll that'll stay in there until, until the missus tells me it's got to go. I've got a VHS player that will never see any more action, but that's staying. Uh, and I'm just tying on the, the other DTS man question that we weren't going to answer, but I've got about six bags worth full of cables um, that I will probably never ever use again. But I, I've always got this nagging feeling at the back of my mind I'm going to need one of them. So I didn't, I didn't chuck any. So I'm a, I'm a hoarder and, and I'm not proud of it. Okay, uh, Mr. Botwright. I was going to say, when you say couldn't get rid of, are we talking as in you can't bear to part with it or yes. it's actually crap that you can't get rid of? No, well, I, I suppose you could go with the crap that nobody else wants. And... I've got, uh, yeah, I've got both. Um, <laughs> I've got an old uh, hard, disk di- hard disk drive DVD recorder that's still got stuff on that I haven't seen. Um, and the, the, unfortunately, the problem now is the remote has been unused for a suitable amount of time. That Now the buttons have got that weird kind of sticky nature to them, so they kind of stick down. So every... It's like kind of a weird kind of Krypton Factor game or something, trying to just select something on that. Um, in the loft, I think there's a, a nine-foot uh, projector screen, which I'm fairly sure I got from some kind of like a local church group or something. The bloke was just happy to get rid of it, and I paid money for it. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of thing. That did you have I, a projector, Mark? Yeah, I, I did. And it was one of those things where I just thought, I don't want to drill into the wall and put up a screen and then find that I... I want to change the room round. So it was a case of, it's a really handy way of just kind of finding out where things should go. Um, other than that, it's kind of things like um, last generation consoles, PS3, 360. I should probably get rid of them, but since I kind of started getting stuff digitally and it's stuff stored on a hard drive that you know isn't going to be backwards compatible, you can't just play it on new consoles. So you're kind of tied to this stuff now. I think there's going to be a time, you know, as gadgets progress, where we will be almost tied by our collection of, of content that we've got stuck on some hard drive. I, uh, I just know what kind of reply I'm going to get here. Ed? Where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> it's a long and distinguished list, isn't it? Edited highlights. <laughs> Pioneer DV919 LaserDisc slash DVD player, uh, which is not a small thing to keep stowed. <laughs> is, is, that, like is, that the gold champ- of, is that the gold effect champagne gold effect thing you know that yeah. is there any other colour um, then I've rather smaller uh, and just because I can't, it's just because it's a minor work of art I have a Sony MDS EZ EPS 11 mini disc Walkman it's the first playback only mini disc Walkman and it has a, an eject mechanism which was never used on any other mini disc player and i just love it and i have no mini disc left i just can't bear to part with it because it's it's splendid um 
there's an electro companionette stereo amplifier which is actually now very nearly dead and would need a complete re service to get back into life but i can't bring myself to part with that because i love it and then one for mr botwright not actually in this house my own house but lurking in my parents loft is a net erosi the um the black edit your own games playstation 1 thing ah um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I never had the skill, talent, or application to do any of the editing things. But it was a black PlayStation One, and it looked really cool. Um, and that that's still lurking in a box in my parents' loft. So I don't know I, I, if someone. I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't even know if it's worth anything. Uh, but yeah, that that that's that's another. Bit. I, I at the same time, I got rid of any number of other games consoles, but just held on to that because I I don't know if it ever had a proper UK release. So. I figure it might be quite rare. I bet it probably would be. Oh, and then also, just not on a not on an AV sense, but I think this is quite amusing. You might find this quite amusing. Many years ago, I was bored uh, at school, and I filled in a competition to win a mountain bike in a friend's magazine about <laughs> mountain biking. And I won a Trek Y22 full suspension Uber bastard mountain bike. Now, I don't like bikes. Uh, so that has effectively lived in my parents' garage since the day I won it. I think I've taken it out twice. It's otherwise, it's a time warp. Uh, I'm, I fully intend to hold on to that until I'm uh, at least 50 or 60. And then I will basically put an, an absolutely as new mountain bike up for sale and see if it, some museum wants it or something. So, yeah. Um, what, was the, what was the BMX bike that was used in ET? Was it Ka Kawawara? Is that how you pronounce it? The red and oh, white one with the. Uh, I always wanted one of them, and and I think I would still buy one if I could find one. Oh God! This is but this is the whole. This is what the internet, other than pornography, and obviously the, <laughs> the UK's leading inter, uh, AV forum. Um, it, it, middle-aged men buying things for nostalgia purposes is what the internet is all about. Yeah, totally. Because to, you couldn't own it the first time round. Yeah, it would have to have the trick nuts on it and. Um, uh, what was the plastic wheels called with the skyways or something like that and red line crank and, and pedals and uh. spoky dokies <laughs> <laughs> i mean a friend a friend of mine has just spent about 65 pounds on a boxed mint never taken never played with um john player special lotus skeletrics car Oh, he, I love that car. When oh, he nice. when he was a kid, he wanted one and he couldn't have it. And now, now, and it's like, have you got a Skeletrix tractor on it? I will do. <laughs> it's like, yes. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's that was a, that's a good buy. I, 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 I love the John player, the black and gold colouring and everything. It was so it must cool. Be said that, I mean, whilst I fully. It made me want to smoke the, cigarettes. Yeah, well, I fully endorsed the, <laughs> the, the removal of tobacco sponsorship from sport. It must be said that, let's face it, four-wheel one cars in tobacco livery, the Marlborough McLarens, if yeah. it had meant they continued to, Ayrton Senna would have won more races, I'd have taken up, I'd have been smoking 40 a day as a nine-year-old. <laughs> well, let's not forget uh, that for my generation, we could go in the shop and buy cigarette sweets. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, totally. I, I remember that. Smoke. I remember that little white candy things that used to. And, yeah, and you still candy, get candy sticks. They're wrapped in edible paper, and you sit there yeah. and tend to smoke them with your mates. Yeah. In the same way that I mean, let's face it, Formula racing cars have gone through a, a whole tradition of being being sponsored by. I mean, my favourite were those BMW touring cars that were sponsored by Jägermeister. You know, that most suitable thing to endorse to driving fast on a racetrack. Something that makes you go blind and mad. Brilliant. Love it. But cracking livery. Well, you really see, I, I think it's one of these things as well. I mean, Ed, you're fast approaching your 40s. I hate to bring it up, but yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm in a good place with it, mate, don't I? But when you get, when you get to this point, uh, I, I and, and I think um, there's just something about I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy what I couldn't have as a kid. Yeah. Definitely. I've always wanted, and, and furthermore, the internet makes it so easy as yeah, well. Yeah, really does. Yeah. You know? and, and when you uh, were a kid, a hundred pounds was 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 like a million pounds. But now, you know, you get to the point where a hundred pounds is well, I, I'm I, I'm quite prepared to throw a hundred pounds away on that. Does the well, internet no, make it easier do. just because it's at the end of a kind of search engine, 
Or is it that you wouldn't buy this kind of thing if you had to walk into a shop? Oh, and could, buy could you see me walking into a BMX shop and buy? <laughs> There's like an element of that. Be I would like a test drive, please, sir. <laughs> you can't. You can't walk into the shop, Mark, after a good six or seven hours of you know competitive beer drinking, which, let's face it, does remove the wallet inhibitors at the best of times, anyway. <laughs> and like yeah, buying a rally chopper. And then, uh, obviously. The, the nature of just the yeah i mean there's only a fight i mean uh, what i can't remember what i was looking at the other day there was a website of of mint in box action force and gi joe toys and to be fair they have to be collated in in a limited number of locations and then people access it via the internet because you couldn't really probably justify the overheads of opening a vintage action force shop could you I mean, whilst it would be the coolest shop in the world, it probably wouldn't work. I don't work. know. You know, if you own the shop, <laughs> was, I was always, I was always amazed that when you get a shop that just sells things like trophies. Yeah, you generally find they're in quite low, low overhead areas, don't you? Or well, they're owned by someone who's about six thousand years well, there's old. There's one not far from me that he sells Hornby trains. That, that's all he sells, and he's been in business for the last twenty odd years. I would salute. I salute that. Uh, I mean, I have to say that one of the advantages, um, you know, obviously whilst I would have been, you know, delighted to have have a child full stop, the fact that I, I do have a son, you know, I had a Skeletrix as a kid. I didn't really have a model railway. So I'm kind of keen on the idea of, you know, even if he's not keen on it, I'll use him as an excuse to just <laughs> buy one for the shit out of it. I had an awesome model railway with some really, um, not uh, Hornby, but um, I can't remember the manufacturer now, but they were, they were all metal construction really gorgeous period trains and everything. And my dad sold them all behind my back. He was probably hoping which that you'd which leave home. And... About. Well, I, didn't, I had left home. I got to university and he said, oh, I cleaned the, 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 I cleaned out the, 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 the loft. I sold your uh, railway stuff. Uh, I thought, oh, thanks. That was mine. And also I threw out all those 2000 ADs. I had 2000 AD from issue one in mint condition. They were <laughs> some serious money. I was livid. <laughs> Well, I still got all my Star Wars figures. I just remembered this conversation has just brought. It was up. was that back, Steve, when you just lived up the road from Johnny Depp? I do live near Johnny Depp. <laughs> but no, this was long before my my friendship with Johnny Depp started. I mean, Depp still go back a long way. Um, who have I missed out on this? Have I not asked you? It's probably because you speak the most on this podcast. You just uh, switch off every time you open your mouth. Oh, I'll ask Hodge then. You already asked me. You obviously switched off know. when I opened my mouth. <laughs> what was the did, original was... question? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about now? Is this, is this the throwing things away? Go on then, Steve. What's, what's the one bit of kit that you still own? Oh, actually, kind of... uh, if you'd asked me this question a couple of years ago, I'd have had a long list of stuff that I had knocking around. But I've, I've flogged it all on the classifieds. Um, I used to have, like, the laser, like you, Phil, LaserDisc player and all my LaserDiscs. Couldn't, couldn't part with those, but eventually I did because it was just taking up space and I never used them. I had a mini disc player. That I couldn't part with, but then eventually thought, well, I'll never really use it. A uh, couple of CD players, uh, old Blu-ray players, projectors. I had a whole pile of stuff that I was just taking up space. But now I really have. I've clear, had a clear out. And to be honest, I don't think there's anything else. <laughs> there's nothing. Is there anything you've got rid of that you've really regretted getting rid of? Uh, get rid of. I, I kind of still regret getting rid of the loads of this player. I wish I hadn't done that now. Even though I knew I wouldn't use it, I've just invested so much yeah, time. Yeah, I, I know. I'm the oh. same. <laughs> At the very least, I, you see, I, I'm secondary to LaserDisc. I, it was already pretty much dead by the time I bought anything. So I never I, I, I never bought anything at the eye-watering prices that you guys did. If I'd invested at the level that you guys had, I, you could bet your bottom dollar that I wouldn't have shifted any of it. Just the sheer emotional, go I spent a bloody fortune on that. I couldn't get a shot of it. Okay, um, so this will probably get edited down, but at the minute that's 52 minutes of hardware. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and people say we just muck about yeah and most of it was on message so there you go uh, games is next games podcast went out last week what did you discuss on that and uh, i believe games con's now finished games com is now finished yeah, sorry <laughs> he adjusts his tires he says that uh, yes, Gamescom. You wear a now. tie for the podcast. Oh, of course, I don't. <laughs> don't even wear I'm trousers. Wearing, I'm wearing a cravat and a, and a velvet jacket myself. Yeah, um, that that was the kind of big topic of the day. Um, but obviously, we, we hadn't really discussed um, the Destiny beta. Also, so uh, 
because we had no podcast in July. Um, but yeah, basically, um, for those who, who haven't really caught what went on with Gamescom, we're going to have a couple of little roundups hitting the site. I believe the first one hit the site today about um, the Sony games that uh, James got hands-on with and which he's looking forward to. Um, really, the, the kind of big story of, of the whole show was Xbox exclusive for the next Tomb Raider title. Um, slightly vague wording to that one, Holiday 2015 exclusive to Xbox, which leaves various get out get out of jail free cards you know um is it just for holiday 2015 that it's exclusive is it strictly speaking exclusive to xbox as as a brand or xbox one or now it turns out that in fact it's going to be on the 360 as well and it is basically just a timed exclusive uh phil spencer head of xbox has admitted that the deal has a duration um so yeah it, it's it's now slowly filtering out that it is fairly sound business they've they've bought up something in the sense that they've basically thrown money at square enix to get them to stop making it on a rival platform so they have a game to um put out against uncharted 4 well that tells yeah well that's that's basically it if you want any more listen to the games podcast i was delighted to see you were playing quop or however you pronounce that yes indeed i was playing quop i was the king of quop quop <laughs> <laughs> That's marvellous. It's a game that if you if you are you know through either religious or other other reasons uh, a teetotal human being, it's an amazing insight into trying to do anything whilst unbelievably drunk. It's very useful. It's like an inebriation simulator. Fantastic. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the games podcast is out. So uh, you go and download that once you've finished uh, listening to this. And uh, that wraps up games. Coming up next is movies. Uh, so let's crack on with movies. And what was at the cinema, Steve? Uh, well, uh, it would have been Expendables 3, but unfortunately I didn't get to the cinema this week. All right. So, so uh, out. All right, so Kazzy's review's up on the site. Go and read that. <laughs> yeah, Kaz has reviewed it, so he, he's managed it. That was the shortest what's at the cinema we've done. Lots of faction stars uh, in a big film, lots of explosions, apparently. Yeah. Okay, there you go. You didn't have to go and see it. Uh, Blu-rays released next week. What are they, Steve? We've got The Amazing Spider-Man 2, uh, which I have seen at the cinema and um, kind of enjoyed, although I felt it suffered from kitchen sink syndrome, where they just seem to throw everything in the, and, the, and the kitchen sink in there. They had like three villains, and they obviously learned nothing from Spider-Man 3. Um, felt a bit too much. It wasn't a, an awful film, um, probably better than Spider-Man 3, but, um, but it just felt a bit too much. Uh, and it hasn't done that well at the box office either. So now Sony have suddenly scuppered a lot of plans they had for, uh, you know, Spider-Man three and four and um, and the Sinister Six and these other stuff. And they're kind of recalculating what they're going to do. I mean, to be honest, the only reason they're making these films is so they can retain the rights and not have to get them back to Marvel. Um, but anyway, it comes out on Blu-ray next week. Uh, I'm sure it'll look and sound amazing. Uh, you can have a choice of uh, 2D or 3D. Although, unlike Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man, this was not shot natively in 3D, so it will be a, tra- uh, a conversion. But um, it's just not it's not a bad film. It's enjoyable in places, and I think the cast are good. Uh, I just felt that they, they kind of crammed too, tried to cram too much into one movie. But um, worth, worth checking out if you're a Spider-Man fan. Transcendence um, got, didn't do very well at the box office and didn't do very well critically. Uh, and I was ambivalent at first. I, I, I like the ideas behind it. I like the ambition of the film. I think that it was trying to you know, ask serious questions and be sort of big ideas, sci-fi, which we haven't had recently. And in that sense, it was very interesting. I, I, I think uh, the majority of the cast were good. I'm kind of getting a bit sick of Johnny Depp, to be honest. It's a bit of a one-trick pony these days. But Wally Fister directed it, who had worked as DP for uh, Christopher Nolan. It, it looked gorgeous, shot it on film. He actually kind of timed it chemically rather than uh, a digital intermediate. So it's a very attractive movie. It looks great. I'm sure it'll be a fantastic-looking Blu-ray. Um, I just felt the structure of the story was a bit flawed. And um, there were elements about it that, you know, it kind of it just didn't quite deliver on, on, on its promise. But having said that, I still think it's an interesting movie. I think it was slightly hard done by other critics. And personally, I actually bought it. I bought it on Blu-ray because, you know, I thought, well, I'll give it a second go because actually I think it's better than I remember it being. And at least it tried to be, uh, you know, about something interesting and try to bring back the idea of big science fiction ideas. And um, so for that alone, I think it's worth checking out. And there's Locke, which is uh, Tom Hardy. In a car, the whole film is him in a car. 
Um, oh, Kaz, so Kaz would like that then. No, Tom I watched Hard. it. Now, do you know? I I thought that was a genuinely excellent film. I I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, and I went with my wife against, and I just thought uh, I had no expectations at all. I thought it was bloody marvelous. And um, it's thanks for reminding me that's out because you know what? I might actually go and buy that. Really good. Really, I mean, obviously, not the thing to not the thing that needs an Atmos soundtrack. Not the thing that needs a soundtrack other than dialogue. But it's really clever. And um, it's a, a demonstration that Tom Hardy can just act, not necessarily, you know, either bulk up to some sort of hilarious level or wear a mask or something like that. He, he, it's, it's. I think that's a, a really, really good film. Okay, so there you go. That's uh, the Blu-rays that are out next week. Um, so, Mr. Hodgkinson, um, Netflix 4K is it better than Blu-ray? Short answer. Mm, long answer. <laughs> Uh, uh, not a lot in it. That's, I'll, I'll be honest. I spent a lot of time going backwards and forwards between, um, well, just as it turned out, one episode of uh, House of Cards series two for close scrutiny because it's just such a time-consuming business, and and the fact that it was so close, um, it was I was focusing on tiny bits of portions of the uh, of the picture, then going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, and just trying to see any differences. And it, it's it's tiny. Um, in, t- in terms of the video, you've got it, just, just some slight extra texture, a little bit more nuance to the lighting. Um, but resolu- as sheer resolution, you're going to be struggling to see, to see the difference with your average Blu-ray. Um, as things stand, of course, this is... Um, it's quite heavily compressed, uh, the 4K content from Netflix, so it's a maximum of 20 megabits per second, um, which is what, half of a, of a really good Blu-ray. Um, obviously, the, the, the compression codec is better, um, but I think we're going to need the physical format before we, before the resolution differences become massively apparent, and this was on a 65-inch. I, mean, I use three TVs uh, throughout the process, but even on a 65-inch TV from about five foot, it's difficult to see to see a resolution difference between a good Blu-ray as as but are there, are there other uh, benefits though, such as it, you know, does this, does the picture look better in terms of it, it's like yeah, there's a slight and, sheen in the pizzazz. As I say, it's, it's more it's more the darker scenes with, with, with the, um, sort of the, some street like uh, the street lit scene from the credits that I use. I put a photo in the article um, and the tarmac just got that little bit of texture. The, the, the actual quality of the light coming out of the street lamps is a bit more natural. Um, it's there's a there's a there's a, sl- a tiny little upgrade there um, as things stand. Um, I think things will will improve if and when we get a physical format or if and when we can start streaming at a higher bit rates. Um, uh, but if this is the future of streaming, then I can def- I can definitely live with it because it's amazing the quality. You know, just firing up the Netflix app, and you've got the, the entirety of Breaking Bad, the entirety of House of Cards, just to flick in. It buffers and it's there within two or three seconds on, on a decent internet connection, and and the quality. You know, you'd be hard pressed to fault it. Um, it's there was hardly anything in the way. Well, I, I couldn't say any, I couldn't see anything in the way of compression artifacts or apostorization. Um, problems. It, it was it's stunning. Um, it's, it's it's stunning because it's it's streamed and it's better than Super HD. Yeah. And it's you know it's it's a tiny little upgrade over Blu-ray at the moment. Um, but as I say, if that's the future of streaming, then I can live. I can certainly live with it. Certainly, when I had my sit-down Q and A session with Netflix uh, earlier in the year. The big point here is sound. Sound it seems to be the thing that's been forgotten about in terms of streaming. Uh, but Netflix really confident that they are going to bring high definition sound to the party as well, which could be quite interesting then. If uh, if it, 4K looks as good as that, which you know if that's streamed 4K and it looks as good as a Blu-ray, yeah, I, I'd say it would look as good if not slightly better. Yeah. Uh, so which is a pretty stunning state of affairs. So, really. so add in high definition sound. And, oh, you're uh, an absolute winner. I mean, you can get 5.1, which will be Dolby Digital Plus, and through the through the uh, Netflix apps. But yeah, Dolby, Dolby have said that they they think they'll be able to deliver Atmos 
via streaming at some point. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they will. As you know, as network infrastructures improve and, and the compression codex improve, then yeah, they, I don't see why that wouldn't be possible yeah. in the in the relatively near future, which would be you know quite exciting. Okay, so uh, your article is up on on the front page. If people are interested in finding out a little bit more and asking some questions and so on, uh, there is a comments section to that article. As well. so go and have a read and uh, put your questions in there, um, or you could do an ask the idiots via Twitter uh, hashtag Ask the Idiots and ask your questions uh, regarding Netflix 4K or Dolby Atmos, which are the two big things that we've been talking about tonight. Uh, so just before we wrap up on proceedings, uh, a little bit of news that crept out uh, today. The rumours have been going about for months now, and we discussed it in the podcast about two or th- two weeks ago, um, which was the, the 4K masters of the original Star Wars trilogy. Uh, there is now almost confirmation... <laughs> that uh, it's coming to Blu-ray, the original Star Wars trilogy coming to Blu-ray at some point, either this year or early next year, in the run-up to Episode 7. Stan, just say, when you say the original Star Wars trilogy, you mean the theatrical versions? Yes. Unaltered, unspecialised? Yes, yes, and George molested. And George George molested, yeah, exactly. Um, And that's, I mean, that for me is is all I want. I just want the Star Wars I saw when I was a kid. Warts and all, all the crappy effects and dodgy mats and everything else. I don't care. I just want that movie in the best possible quality on Blu-ray for me to watch and enjoy. No, is that they 1080? can do other versions as well. I don't care. Put that on the disc as well. They're fine. But just give me the option. Don't send. Don't give me a non-anamorphic DVD made from a laser disc transfer from twenty years ago. And then I mean that's just taking the piss, isn't it? So thank thank God for Disney, who clearly have seen sense in the sense that a they, they I think they do appreciate you know, um, restoring and looking after their back catalogue. And clearly they've also realised it'll be a great way of drumming up interest before episode seven comes yeah, out. It's a real, real, real money spinner. It'd probably yeah. pay for half the budget of the new film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, apparently though, it has been, I mean, I, the reason, I mean, obviously Lucas was going on, you know, has been saying for years, like, oh, the original negatives doesn't exist anymore, you can't but it, see but it. Does, which we all a, knew was bullshit. But it does, because it's in the American Institute of um, yeah, yeah, whatever exactly. it is, you know, and it has to be the original uh, but kept what he storage. wasn't prepared to do, I think, was he wasn't prepared to spend the money to do a proper restoration of the original camera negative of Star Wars and Empire and Jedi, and particularly Star Wars, because yeah. obviously the more successful a film is, the more prints they have to strike and the more damage that there is to the negative. And that's why you know, it was in pretty poor state. Now, apparently, this has taken, Disney have been doing this for quite some time now, and it's taken a long time because oh, there is serious damage to the negative and they have to fix it. But... Um, it's expensive. That's the thing, and I think he was just tight ass. I mean, look at the Blu-rays they did put out. They, you know, yeah, it was the, old the, old HD transfers yeah, from a few years. Did. They, they things sucked. changed quickly. Yeah, they sucked big time. As did the extras. And normally, mm-hmm. Lucasfilm stuff would be excellent in terms of extras. I mean, I remember that like the prequel stuff that came out. The behind-the-scenes stuff on that was superb. Really, really good yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. But there was none of that the, uh, on the it, box sets. The, 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 the documentary on the Phantom Menace, the beginning, I think it's called hour-long documentary behind the scenes is brutally honest about the making of that film there's whole sequences where you can see them thinking we've screwed this up kid doesn't work he can't act uh there's the pacing wrong you know there are quite honest me- meetings in that film where you can see you know the, them worrying about the film um quite, quite rightly as it turned out so yeah you're right Phil. there have been some excellent uh, extras in the past, but the Blu-ray box set that they put out was shockingly poor. Yeah, really was. Um, so I know that obviously you're excited, I'm excited, I'm going to go and buy this. <laughs> this yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No bra- day one. Absolutely no brainer. Ed? We'll see. Okay. Uh, probably not a day one release, but that's because I'm, it's not so much a, a, a lack of interest in the thing, it's because I've almost certainly bought something else that I need to pay for. I mean, as I explained <laughs> to you at the start of this podcast, I've got two men one of whom smells a bit, oh, yes. putting my kitchen together. You paid for uh, two men. <laughs> I paid for two men, yeah. Um, That's just green. So, yeah, I, it's it's more a case that I'll have probably bought records and I'll need to wait until I see it on a screaming deal. But I'm pleased that it's happening. I'm pleased because I, I can sense the actual joy with you two. And that, that you know, if you're happy... Well, can you not get the, the massive sigh of relief from the internet? Can you not just feel it? Yeah. Uh, to to be honest, to say today, I, I today I have mostly been doing. To, I, I've I've been I've been on the internet, but not on the fun part of the internet. So um, that sounds wrong as well, doesn't it? No, <laughs> I I just been I I've, I've been head down today. I'm I'm very pleased that it's going to happen, and we'll we'll take it from there. Okay. Uh, I, as I I'm annoyed that it's probably affecting the value of my laser discs. And Mr. Botwright, <laughs> any uh, any joy from you? Yeah, there's joy. Um, 
but I, I it won't be day one. I'll, I'll wait until day two. Yeah, well, no, I'll wait until shall we see how much whinging there is, whether anything else has been screwed up. All right, okay. So the first podcast after the, re- the release, then you'll make your mind yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, right, so we have run out of time. Mr. Hodgkins had to disappear uh, to mind his kids. Uh, and it's time for us to disappear as well for another week. But if you do have any questions for Ask the Idiots, uh, then the best way to send them is via Twitter at AV Forums with the hashtag Ask the Idiots. You can ask us anything you like on any subject whatsoever uh, to do with AV or not to do with AV. Um, and if we can answer it, we'll answer it. And if we can't answer it, we'll still have a good, bloody good go at it. So uh, all I need to do now is thank Steve Weathers. You suck the sweat off a dead man's balls. Mark Buttright. Maybe go downtown and try to find a Vietnamese man named Phil. And Ed Selly. How would you describe your testicles? Uh, don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmarkavforums.com for latest news, reviews and video. And why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. I'm Phil Hinton. Thanks very much for listening. And we'll see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.